Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 26 of Passionate Pioneers. During this episode, we spent time with a seasoned health tech entrepreneur turned CEO of a national leading industry association. Ann Mon Johnson is the CEO of the American Telemedicine Association, the only organization entirely focused on accelerating the adoption of telehealth. Under Ann's leadership, the ATA is committed to ensuring that everyone has access to safe, effective, and appropriate care when and where they need it, and enabling the system to do more good for more people. During our time together, Anne shared how her experience as a serial health tech entrepreneur was a welcomed attribute by the ATA's board of directors during her hiring process and how she never thought that she was going to be the leader of a national association. Anne also expressed her excitement as to why she is more optimistic than ever to help enable the delivery of more cost-effective and efficient care across our nation. I'm excited for you to get to know Anne and gain her valuable insights as to where our industry is heading and how all of us can be involved in the journey. It is because of passionate and dedicated leaders like Anne that more citizens in our nation will have access to more safe and effective care. I look forward to you supporting Anne on her journey at the ATA as she and her team further their pioneering pursuits. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. And welcome to our podcast being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. Also, a big welcome to our community a mile high. We've enjoyed hosting you over the past couple of days. Thank you, Mike. It's been terrific seeing all the different types of organizations in your industry integrator and not accelerator. So I appreciate the nuance. Well, I appreciate you remembering the definition when we shared that with you yesterday. And of course, as a proud community member here in Denver and at Catalyst, you've already answered a little bit, but I still have to ask. How was your visit to our ecosystem? Were you surprised? Were you energized by what's happening here in Colorado? I'm completely energized. I love how the companies are all gathered together, how collaborative they are, and how much outreach is going on with different state groups and other nonprofit organizations. So I really love that. Well, good. And as I like to say, we're just getting going. So buckle up because <laughs> we're, we're taking off here and we're going to continue to march forward. So, well, Anna, it is a treat to be able to chat with you today during your visit here in Colorado. And it's also a timely conversation given all the buzz and activity happening in our industry in regards to virtual health. I'm also excited to hear your story as to how a senior technology executive became the CEO of one of the most important industry associations, and for you to share your insights and perspective with our amazing community that has rallied around this podcast. But before we dive into all things virtual health, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link 
and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on iTunes or Spotify, or click the link at the bottom of the episode notes. All right, Ann, before we learn all the wonderful things happening at the ATA, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community can get to know you. Let's go ahead and select a random question here. Oh, looks like we got favorite place. So question is, what's your favorite place on earth and why? I have to say my favorite place is mountains. And I like the Colorado Rockies. I like the Canadian Rockies. I like Torres del Paines in South America. I like the Swiss Alps. And the reason why I like mountains is because I love to hike. I love to climb. I love to just completely focus on the outdoors and that energy and that completely different element of life that allows me to forget what I do for a living. The mountains are one of the big reasons why I do live here myself. But between the winter and the summer, very different, obviously, environment in the mountains. What's your favorite season? Winter, summer, spring, fall in the mountains? Summer in the mountains. Yeah, summer. Excellent. But you do like skiing? I do like skiing. Absolutely. And where where are some of your favorite resorts you like to ski? I have skied at Vail and Breck, both of which I love. Good places. Whistler. Oh. Also fun. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I heard heard it's huge. I've never been. It's ginormous. Yeah, I heard it's a big place. Yeah, well, all those are great. We, We love going to Vail. It's been a great ski season thus far here, so don't be shy. We have a lot of health care, of course, that we can work on here at Catalyst, but we can also take a field trip and go do some skiing as well. Sounds good. Well, thank you for sharing that, man. So let's go ahead. We're, we have a lot to talk about at the ATA, what's happening there, the the, the change and the, and the innovation that you bring in, the mindset and the culture that you bring into our industry. It is more timely and needed now more than ever, but I'm really fascinated by your background, and I was so excited to have you on the podcast Because you typically don't see a serial entrepreneur, a seasoned tech executive become the CEO of an association. So before we dive into the ATA, can you take us back a bit on that journey? What was your journey like building companies, being with, you know, big tech companies? Give us a little bit of that journey before we talk about the ATA. Absolutely. And it's a fun story. I began my career with a data company, healthcare data. So I've worked only in healthcare. I'm a one-trick pony in that regard and always with data. And so the first company gave me an appreciation for how you can use data and how data in healthcare really, if it's used appropriately, can really make a difference in terms of helping people make decisions. And then left that, the company was sold, we exited, and in uh, 2000, took that information about data, healthcare data, and used it to start a company called Subimo that was focused on decision support for consumers. So the progression was to take data and then instead of having it be used for healthcare settings, have it be used for consumers so that they could understand how data could be used to help them navigate the healthcare system using decision support tools. This was the time of the internet, first starting. So the idea of just having people have access to information was a little disconcerting, I think, sometimes for physicians when people would walk in with reams of data. And so what we did instead was we put it together as a decision support tool that we licensed to health plans and to employers. And so what I learned from that was that if you cast information the right way in a really accessible fashion, people will actually use it more often than not. Mm. And it can really engage in great conversations. So that then was how I spent the second two companies, which were also focused on helping consumers navigate the healthcare system 
insurance, benefits, using data, using digital mobile apps, the whole interesting melange, if you will. The spectrum is is enormous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, you learn a lot about behavior economics, right? About how people are making decisions. And so, of course, so some of those startups you built from scratch, you know, I know it's a difficult path. A lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to turn a startup on one day. And it is an all-in affair, as you know. Uh, but then you also then sold to a company we all know, household name WebMD. How was it your, with your time there at WebMD? What, what was that experience like? It was a really interesting experience to go from having a group of 30 people who were all operating out of the basements or their second <laughs> bedrooms. And again, when we talked about as a company having cameras on our computers so that we could look at each other when we were on phone calls, the universal response was absolutely not because people really wouldn't get dressed till the end of the day. So (laughs) it was a different environment, obviously, a publicly traded company, much more formal. But what I think was true is that at the end of the day, you want to make sure people have the right information to make good decisions about their health. And that continues to be a guiding light for all of us. So it sounds like a lot of that experience I hear time and again that entrepreneurs share exactly what you just shared with our community, how you know you are working out of basements, it's uh, all hands on deck, you're wearing multiple hats. And then, of course, I'm, I'm imagining that uh, time at WebMD definitely influenced uh, a lot of your experience and perspective today. But let's now start heading into your work at the ATA. If I remember correctly, you took a little bit of time off. You were living in Chicago. You weren't necessarily going after the ATA or the association world. Take us through that and how you then springboarded into now your role at, at the ATA. So I left my fourth startup. and About Four. Four, <laughs> early stage company. And this was a great experience for a whole lot of reasons. You know, you really encounter such great clients as well as investors, and it just broadens your network. And then I left and I was in Chicago. I decided I'd move to DC and I was ready for a change. And I had a friend who suggested that I look at associations that maybe it would be interesting for an association to hire somebody with my background. And so I moved to DC without a job and packed everything up and stayed with my niece and her family in Reston, Virginia, as I started looking for something to do and ended up getting recruited by the board of the ATA to be the CEO. Oh, I can't wait to dive into that, but I want to still stay on the startup uh, scene for just a moment because four, that's incredible. I mean, some people just, it takes a life out of them with just one. Isn't it amazing what you learn about yourself through that journey? Mm-hmm. You really do learn a lot. And the people you get to you know experience that journey with, I'm sure it's the same for you, Anna. The, the bonds that I have now with my, my fellow business partners or colleagues, clients, and friends, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's life-changing. It is very life-changing. And these are relationships that you maintain forever. And what I realized in startups, early stage companies, was that you often didn't have a safety net. You didn't have enough money for Mm. a safety net. And so you knew that the people you had to hire had to be bulletproof. And so those are the same people you turn to over and over and over again, because either you recruit them to work with you again, or they have their other networks that they've cultivated. And you know, because they've passed their scrutiny that they'll be great for you as well. Well, I can't wait to hear, because you're right, it does. It makes an indelible mark on us. I can't wait to hear what those experiences and those journeys that you were on, how that's impacting the ATA today. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But I want to now focus on, here's the board, they're recruiting you. They pull the, they pull the trigger, they, they greenlit you to become the CEO of ATA. What was that experience like? Was the board 
Was the board taken back? Were they looking for an outsider? Take us through that experience of, of working up and, and being interviewed and courted and, and engaged with the ATA, which then, of course, then t- turned into the CEO position. Take us through that. I'm, I'm so intrigued. So it was a great experience because this is a board that is very, very engaged in the association. And they knew that there were changes that they had to make. And the association business model is one that I think has to change because it's really dependent on membership and events. And the market's gotten very competitive in both. And so what I talked to them about was just how I might approach that change in terms of really leveraging the relationships and the entities they already had and expanding that so that we had a much broader membership base. So that was very much part of it. And then as well, the whole idea of what else could we be doing as an association to bring value to our members? Hmm. Let's talk about, before we dive into current work and where you are taking the ATA and where you're seeing the industry going, give us a little history lesson. How long has the ATA been around? What were they focused on before your tenure? The ATA was started over 25 years ago. That long? By the pioneers, the researchers, the academicians, the clinicians who were really at the forefront of telehealth. And it was amazing what they did. And it was very much modeled like a professional society. These were a lot of individuals. I have people on my board who said, you know, this was just a very interesting collection of people who were very passionate about the technology. But what I appreciated also was that if you fast forward, and here we are in 2020, and at the time I joined, it was 2018, the fact was is that the adoption engagement in telehealth was anemic by Mm. both clinicians and consumers. So there was an opportunity for us to do something different as an association. And that was what I was really attracted to. That's interesting. So on the website, and I love some of this positioning, and I think it's, uh, well, it's more true than ever. Right when you enter your website, these first two lines hit the guest on the site and it says, telehealth is health. And then the second line is, ATA is working to transform health and care through enhanced efficient delivery. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? How does that apply where we are today in this very changing and fast dynamic industry and and policy and regulation pulling at us? What does that mean for us today and and going forward? The reality is that as a country, and this is true in countries around the world, that we face issues of adequate clinicians, adequate staff, right? Enough professionals to do what needs to be done with our aging population, access, quality, costs. These are problems worldwide. And we have an opportunity as an industry to use technology to reimagine care. And that's really what we're talking about. That if all we do is use technology to replace a face-to-face visit, then we will have fallen short on our opportunity. And instead, we really have to reimagine care. Let's talk about reimagine care. I think a lot of people get, they bucketize, right? I'm going to kind of mm-hmm. think of a word. They bucketize telemedicine. They automatically think, and you probably hear this a lot, oh, it's uh, it's FaceTime for, for doctors and patients. It's not, right? right. And, and I'm fortunate because I'm sitting at the front lines of some amazing technologies that are being built around the globe. It, it is so much more than that. What does that mean? What does, you know, connected devices, uh, home health care, what does that look like for you at the ATA and in your members? So one of the things that I think is really important is that we dispel this myth, this notion that telehealth or telemedicine is only synchronous communication. It's asynchronous, it's clinician to clinician, it's clinician to patient. And so it's much broader. And so one of the things that we've done as an association is to say, 
our vision is to ensure that people get care where and when they need it, mm. that when they do, they know it's safe, effective, and appropriate, while enabling clinicians to do more good for more people. And when you cast it that way, you realize that the mechanisms and the abilities to make that happen are much broader than synchronous communication. And it involves asynchronous. It involves AI, digital health, digital therapeutics. And so that's an opportunity, again, for us to engage others in this conversation. And really, I talk about, you know, high water floats more boats. Can you define what engage others means? So I guess I'm trying to take the question to what does membership look like for ATA moving forward? Is it startups? Is it entrepreneurs that call Catalyst home? Is it, you know, these amazing innovators and researchers and ideas from people around the world? Is it patients themselves? What, what does it mean? What does others, what does members, what does the organized body under the ATA look like now and moving forward? When I joined the organization, we embarked on a long-range planning process and recruited a number of individuals who are members and non-members and used this group to really help inform what the job of the ATA was going to be going mm. forward. And the job is to really create the market conditions to ensure that we accelerate adoption and engagement in telehealth. So recall that we have a lot of technology, but what we're talking about is really accelerating the adoption and engagement. So with that then, that means that there are a whole host of other people that we have to convene with, meaning there are a number of like-minded organizations and individuals that are very committed to ensuring that we address this issue of getting people care where and when they need it. So if we're focused on market conditions and really eliminating barriers associated with telehealth, that means that there are a number of organizations that really have a common goal of ensuring that people get care. And so, again, this idea of using this broader community to say, look, we have to change the story. And if the story is really about getting people care when they need it, then yes, reimbursement and licensure and access to broadband are sufficient issues. They're real issues for us. But we can engage a broader group to make sure that we tell the story better than we have in the past. Can we talk about one of the giants in the room? Sure. Regulatory? Sure. Where are we with that? I, I think, you know, we hear a lot about that. Is it is it the red tape holding us back? Is it being able for, you know, Dr. Ann to deliver care across state lines? Where are we at with regulatory and how important are they in bringing this new wave of care that the patient or the consumer is expecting and demanding? How important is the regulatory side of all of this? It's a real barrier. There's no question. But we've made great progress, right? There have been real improvements with Medicare, with CMS. And in fact, a lot of the conversations that we've had at CMS and HHS has been, tell us more about when it's not working so we can address this. So give us the use cases where it's not working. Mm. The states are also a mosaic of implementation and regulation. So there's a lot that we're doing at the federal level and then a lot that we're doing to engage our members at the state level. So you think about um, different laws that are uh, proposed that provide protection, if you will, for certain embedded or entrenched players when in point of fact, consumers and clinicians would be well served by changing the laws and the regulations. So our opportunity is to engage our members to say, here, we have to go after this particular legislation or regulation in this state and to 
really engage people in that process. And then I also always love to hear from leaders like you, your perspective on what is the consumer wanting? What are we seeing trend line in regards to the care that they want and expect? What are you seeing within the virtual care world that consumers and patients are wanting? Is it connected devices? Is it, you mentioned asynchronous texting? What are some of those trends that, you know, the listening community on this podcast can be thinking about? What are some of those things that you're seeing now and in the future that are trend lines that the consumers are really expecting to see in the marketplace? All of us have had our experiences defined by Amazon, by, you know, Uber or Lyft, and this ability of getting what you want when you want it. When we put mobile apps on our phones to do banking, we didn't do it with the intent of seeing a bank teller when we Hmm. when we activated our app. We did it so that we could bypass unnecessary engagements and just get to the problem that we want to solve, which is to deposit our check. So I think this notion of convenience is really important for consumers and we'll see that continue to drive adoption and engagement on their part. I think the other though is recognizing that they can't always get in to see a clinician when they need to, or perhaps there's a condition that they have that they find embarrassing and they don't really want to have a face-to-face visit on that. So I think we're going to see that really drive from consumers' perspective, you know, the synchronous models as well as the asynchronous models. And what are some of the areas right now that the ATA is working on to help demystify in the marketplace? So there are a few. One is the whole notion of direct-to-consumer asynchronous companies. And these are organizations that often provide condition-specific solutions for consumers. They've done a great job of marketing. And yet, at certain states, they're thrown into the same bucket as the companies that you read about in the headlines that are defrauding the government. And these are companies, you read the article, and they're really not telehealth companies, they're telemarketing companies. And yet, our members are thrown into the same bucket. And so that's one that we're really spending a lot of time on. Another area that we're spending time on is the whole area of telehealth interoperability. The fact that we have so many ways of data to be collected, and yet it's just creating a lot of problems for clinicians as well as consumers. And then the third is the area that we're very focused on is one of physician-clinician engagement, of helping articulate what are the impediments from their vantage point. And interestingly, reimbursement is not at the top of the list. Mm. It's number 10. Really? And that we can work with them to identify ways that the ATA can really take a position and call attention to certain things like clinician burnout. It's huge. Clinician well-being. Great. Well, those are awesome initiatives you guys are working on. And I, of course, will continue to stay tuned with you, Anne, and, and getting a, a updates on those. So thank you for sharing that. Let's start uh, fast forwarding a bit. So shared a lot about where the ATA is today. Let's talk about where you're going. The marketplace is changing. It's changing rapidly. It's very dynamic. Where do you see the ATA? I'll even say in the next one to three years and maybe even a little further out in the next three to five years. Where do you see ATA's leadership and where do you see the ATA taking and helping shepherd in this, these new realities that so many of us are waiting for? So um, first, what we've done is really engage in a new policy process. We have a terrific policy council that we recruited for our members. We have a new director of public policy who's absolutely amazing. And what we're doing is engaging in a much more transparent effort on the part of establishing policy priorities which I hope will be more venue and modality and device agnostic or neutral, if you will. 
So the second thing that we'll be doing is working more with our members. If you think about it, my background is coming from very client-driven organizations. So when I look at members and realize that many of them have government affairs or policy folks on board, we should be leveraging that expertise as a user group, if you will, and marshalling those resources on the industry's collective behalf. So a lot more in that regard. The third is that the ATA has really set standards, practice guidelines for different types of clinical services, ocular, telemental health. And so that is a rich tradition. And part of our opportunity is to make those findings more accessible to a broader audience. An example of that is telemental health. The headline of their practice guidelines, which were endorsed by the American Psychiatric Association, is that virtual is as good, if not better, than face-to-face. Well, who needs to know that? A lot of people need to know that. Many. Employers, payers, folks who are going to be licensing these solutions, they need to know what to look for. So our opportunity is to take some of the rich findings and insights and make them more accessible in language that many, many, many can benefit from. Because again, I think we have to work on policy and advocacy. We have to work on practice guidelines, but we also have to make it easier for people to be part of our movement Mm. and to push this forward. Thank you for that. That's an exciting future. And I know it's going to be such a huge help to so many of us that want those realities today. It's a lot of work to get there, but I know that with your work and your leadership and being able to learn from you, Anne, I know we're going to get there much quicker than hopefully a lot of us uh, anticipate. So thank you for sharing that future state of ATA. Let's also now take it to the community. There are amazing leaders that have rallied around this podcast around the globe, and it's incredible how they think and how they can help solve some of the needs or problems that we have on our podcast. So can you share with our community one problem, need, or question that you at the ATA have that they can maybe thinking about or help with? I will tell people that what we want is for them to join us in our work and join us in as active and collaborative fashion as possible. We have a lot of organizations that are members of the ATA. We have delivery systems and payers and solution providers, startups, and many of them compete with one another. But when they cross that threshold, it's because we're really working to ensure that people get care where and when they need it. So join us in that. Be transparent with your data. Share and collaborate with us so we can make it a no-brainer that telehealth virtual care is available as broadly as it needs to be. Well, Ann, you teed me up for my next question then. So in order for folks to join ATA and your movement and your mission, how can they get a hold of the ATA? Where are some contact points online to do exactly that? So a couple of things. One is gotelehealth.org. Another is americantelemed.org. And you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn, as well as the American Telemedicine Association, ATA. Excellent. And then to our audience, we'll obviously leave all of those uh, touch points in the episode notes of this uh, podcast. So make sure to click through on that. Get a hold of Anne and her team. Join. Let's get together as a community and continue to push all these wonderful opportunities in front of us ahead together. So, Anne, thank you for that. Well, it's time to take it home. Your time here in Denver is coming to a close, but I have one more for you. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I am pathologically optimistic, and I'm optimistic about our ability to make things better in the healthcare system for everyone. Anne, thank you for that.
And I hope to uh, have just about as half the optimism that you carry in every form and fashion of how you operate. I've been so impressed learning about you, spending time with you, and the things that you're bringing and the ideas that you're shepherding forward in our industry and our communities. You are certainly welcome back anytime here in Denver. So don't be shy. You certainly have a seat at our table. And thank you for being on our podcast today. And thank you for visiting Colorado. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.